We've been talking over the course of uh, the last uh, few weeks about the main thing. And in January, uh, we were focusing a little bit about uh, on faith at home, and so the main thing being uh, making disciples and making disciples within our home was a part of that. And, and if you remember, we began by talking about if you're going to make disciples, then you need to be a disciple. And uh, we talked about that there's this Jewish tradition or saying about uh, a disciple having the dust of their rabbi on them. And what that meant is, is that that disciple walked so close to their rabbi that the dust from their feet as they were walking would get on them. And how we need to be dusty with Jesus. I mean, we need to be walking so close to Jesus that we get the dust of him on us. Then we talked about our ready-made disciple-making environment, which is our family. No, no matter what your family may look like, it's a ready-made place to make disciples. So whether you're, it's a traditional home or maybe it's a single parent or divorced uh, situation or a widow or widower or grandparents or a combination of all of those or some of those, that household, that environment is a ready-made place for us to really uh, make disciples who make disciples. Then we talked about how our disciple-making doesn't end there. It continues as we go into the community. We are to go and make disciples. And what if, what if we all were intentional of making disciples? What an impact that would have on the world around us. And that is one of the reasons why, uh, for us, this faith at home thing was such a big deal and why we have our resource center over there is because we wanted to give you tools to help you with this whole process of being disciple makers. Now as we move on, we're going to jump back into 1 Corinthians, and we did a review last week, but from now until Easter, we're going to hit chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians, and the title of this series of 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 is The Main Thing, and part of the reason why it's the, it's the title of this part of the of the book of 1 Corinthians is because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. And so I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 9 verses 19 through 23. And I'm going to read it in the message version because uh, it, yeah, it just comes across. Uh, I really like it. That's the main reason. Real spiritual right there, huh? 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23 even though I am free of the demands and the expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralist, say that ten times really fast, loose-living immoralist. I may want to change that today to, you know, religious right or the liberal left, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. 
I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Most of your translations say it in a familiar way that we're probably used to hearing, and that is, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews, to those outside the law, meaning non-Jews, I became as one outside the law so that I may win some. So you see, what Paul is saying there is when he was hanging out with Jews, he followed all of the laws and the traditions of the Jews so that he could win some of those Jews to Jesus. But then when he was over here hanging out with those who were not Jews, who were outside of the law, Paul didn't follow any of the Jewish laws or the traditions so that he could win as many outside the law as possible. I like how the message put it. I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. This is so good because we are so desperate sometimes to get people to view life the way we view life and to follow our rules. And yes, we all have our very rules that we lose the opportunity to share Jesus with them. I shared a couple weeks ago about Ken who came to know Jesus through a church in St. Cloud Ken was a liberal, all the way liberal, and it used to frustrate him because he couldn't figure out whether I was a conservative or a liberal. It just made him mad. And he would ask me, so what are you, Brad? i said, say, I'm not telling you. And the reason why I didn't tell him was because as long as he was not sure, his ear was open to the message of Jesus. See, whether we know it or believe it or not, is if I would have said, I'm a conservative all the way, and here's blah, 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 and laid out my rules, it would have shut Ken down. This is, for me, a big part of Paul's message of unity or harmony. And that is that whenever we step into whatever realm, whatever area we step into, whatever the people group that we step into, are we stepping into them to get to know them, to share Jesus with them? Or are we getting them, in, are we stepping into them to get them to know what I believe so that I can try to convince them to believe what I believe? For Paul, there is nothing more important than winning people to Jesus. And that term that he might win some is a financial term. It is about profit. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm investing into these people so that my return, my profit, is them being a part of the kingdom of God. For Paul, first he shared Jesus. And then when they surrendered their lives to Jesus. Then he taught them to obey. 
Then he relied on the Holy Spirit to do the transformation. We're going to dive into chapter 9 a little bit deeper in the next couple of weeks. But as we move forward, talking about chapters 8, 9, and 10, I want us to have as a foundation or this background in this conversation just a reminder that for Paul, the most important thing is people turning their lives over to Jesus. Him being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today as we move forward, we, we have to take one more step back into chapter 7. And the reason why we have to take a step back into chapter 7 because there was eight verses that we didn't talk about last fall. So, I, I, yeah, we got to talk about them. Just saying. And so if we remember the context for chapter 7, around chapter 7 was, again, Paul imploring people to live in harmony, and he was talking about uh, pornea, sexual immorality, and the pain that is involved in that and the damage that that does. And he was also addressing marriage, should you remain married or not be married, if you're uh, spouse is an unbeliever, do you stick with them or not? And what if you're a widower, do you get married? And is it better to be single? All of that stuff. And then Paul says these words in chapter 7, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation, but 1 Corinthians 7, starting with verse 17, if you want to turn into your Bibles. Paul says this in relationship to that, all of should I be married or not, and all that stuff. He says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised the important thing is to keep God's commandments. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when, you, when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. Now remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave to Christ. God paid a high price for you. So don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. Here we are, right in this middle of conversation of, should I be married or shouldn't I? All that stuff. Paul says, live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you in. Other translations say, lead the life that God has assigned you. It's your portion. It's your responsibility. It's your share. Do it. Just stay in there and make sure you can focus on the main thing. Our mentality often, and at least for me, is that the grass is often always greener on the other side of the fence, meaning, um, especially now in social media stage, meaning that Somebody's got a better job than I do, or somebody's family sure seems a lot more fun than my family, or 
Yeah, their marriage is way better. Or what about those vacation pictures? Especially those people who have the audacity to show a picture of them lying on the beach. When it's 20 below here, how they have it so much better than I do. Oh, and those people that have those talents, like those music people. Oh, I wish I could play that instrument or sing like them or... I wish I was as athletic as that person. Or it, The list goes on of how we look down on ourselves and think that somebody else has got it better than us. And we kind of think if God would only change my circumstance, then I could focus on the main thing. I mean, doesn't God know how difficult my life is? How can I focus on proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ when all this bad stuff is happening in my life? Does, doesn't God see me? God, if you could just fill in the blank, I'd begin telling people about you. Imagine my testimony if you did this. We want God to change our circumstances. And then we will do what He wants us to do. And God wants us to love people and make disciples right now in the situation you are in right now. Notice in verse 17 that he says each person should lead the life or live as a believer or continue to live. And the sense there is of one who is walking. So, in other words, as, as you are walking through life, in essence, do the assignment God has called you to. So, verse 17 could almost read, each of you should continue to walk in the assignment that the Lord has placed you in and remain as you were when Christ first called you. Don't be so focused on changing. Live in it. Walk in it. No matter what it looks like. And this walking theme reminds me of Ephesians 2.10 which says this, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I are God's masterpiece. We are His workmanship. And we have been created in Christ Jesus. And He has planned these good works. Now, walk in them. We also see a sense of this in Deuteronomy 6. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your forehead. Write them on your doorpost. It's that picture of as you are going through life. Do what God has called you to do. For Paul... The question is not, what assignment do I have, or do I have the right assignment? For Paul, the question is, what are you doing with the assignment you already have? 
Are you living as a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus in the situation you are right now? Are you experiencing the dust of Jesus on you no matter what is going on in the world around you? You see, if, if you are a business owner and maybe business is not going real good right now, are you doing your assignment of being a follower of Jesus, of loving people and making disciples now? Or, or maybe you are in the construction business and whatever side, you, whether you own your own or, or an employee, are you being an employee doing your assignment in the situation you are right now? I could go on. Are you being a doctor or a nurse or are you a stay-at-home mom? Are you a student? Whatever your assignment, whatever your situation is right now, are you doing that assignment? Making sure that you're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Then Paul adds these words to the end of verse 17. He says, this is my rule for all the churches. This isn't a kind of a suggestion thing for Paul. This is his rule. God has given you assignment. Live in that assignment. Don't be concerned about getting out. Live in that assignment. Seems kind of harsh, right? Now, what he's not saying is don't, if the opportunity to get is to comes to get out of it, go ahead and take it. But what he's saying is, when you're in it, don't make it your life goal to get out of it. Make it your life goal to proclaim Jesus within it. Paul gives two examples, starting in verse 18, of what he's talking about. He says, if you're circumcised, don't try to not be circumcised. There is a way. I looked it up. I'm not going to talk about it this morning. You all have Google. And there is a word for it, and like I said, I'm not going to say any more. Seems funny, right? Um, or if you're not circumcised, don't try to be circumcised. What, what that's about is, are you in the right group? Corinth was a diverse place, and if you were a Jew, maybe you were looked down on. And if you had the covenant of circumcision, don't try to be uncircumcised so you don't be no longer connected to the Jewish history. Stay in it. Galatians 5, 6, Paul says the same rule, only a little differently. He says, for in Christ... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Again, Paul said, it doesn't matter what group you're a part of. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. The other illustration Paul uses is that of a bondservant or a slave and... Um, for the most part, bondservants or slaves, that was different back then than it is or was in the American history, but still it was being owned by somebody else. And Paul says, um, if you're a bondservant, stay there. Fulfill your assignment. 
If there's an opportunity to come for you to be free, well then do it. Be free. But know this, you are already free in Christ Jesus. And if you're free, just know this, you are a slave to Christ. There's a story in the Old Testament of how God sometimes asks us to just stay in the assignment we are in. And it's a familiar story. It's a story of Hagar. Hagar is the servant or slave of Abraham and Sarah. Um, Abraham was, as we know, he was going to be the father of a great nation. Sarah wasn't getting pregnant, and yet these words, can you imagine the words and the promise from God, you're going to be the father of a great nation and you're not getting pregnant? Imagine the pressure. And so Sarah says to Abraham, take Hagar, my servant, and marry her, and maybe you will have a child for this promise through her. And Hagar is an Egyptian servant, an Egyptian slave, and um, Hagar or uh, Abraham and Sarah acquired Hagar when they were in Egypt. If you remember that part of the story, Abraham and Sarah go to Egypt because there's a famine. And while they're there, Abraham, this man of faith, says, Sarah, we're going to tell everybody you're my sister because otherwise they're going to kill me because you're so beautiful. Pharaoh finds out this is Abraham's sister, takes Sarah into her house. And then Pharaoh gives Abraham female servants, maid servants, or men servants, donkeys, camels. Abraham gets all this stuff for lying. Go figure, right? Then Pharaoh finds out, gives Sarah back, and they head out. And so that's a little sidebar how Abraham and Sarah have an Egyptian servant or slave and Hagar, if you remember, because she's a woman, she's second class. Because she's a slave, she's lower than second class. She's the least of the least. And so Hagar gets pregnant. And when you're the least of the least and you have something over somebody over you, she does what most of us was, would do. And she holds Sarah in contempt. She begins to look down on Sarah. And of course, Sarah deals harshly with Hagar because of this. And Hagar runs into the wilderness and the angel of the Lord finds her and asks her, where have you come from and where are you going? And she knows where she's come from. She's come from this difficult place. She's fleeing. She has no idea where she's going. And the angel of the Lord says some pretty crazy words in this situation. Look at these words in Genesis 16.9. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Hmm. God, I thought you were a God of love. God, I thought you answered prayers. I thought you rescued those who are enslaved. The angel of the Lord tells Hagar to name her son Ishmael, which means God hears. The angel of the Lord wants Hagar to know every time she's calling her son Ishmael, 
Remember, you're in this place where you're submitting in slavery. I've sent you back there, but remember, God hears you. Even though your circumstance hasn't changed, God hears you. Go back and do your assignment. And then Genesis 16 13, Hagar gives us one of the names for God that we have. Interesting. It says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Our assignment may be tough. But know this, God hears you and God sees you. And sometimes he wants you in that assignment because he's got a plan that's way bigger than what we can imagine or think. I mentioned before about my time in China. I got to spend seven weeks there way back 40 years ago in 1982. I know that's a long time ago. But China was just opening up to the Western world, and we got a chance to meet this incredible Chinese woman who was a believer. And she was part of the underground church, and she lost her job because of her faith, and she was put in prison because of her faith, and she was pretty sure that someday she would die because of her faith. And she looked at every circumstance she was in as an opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ. She said that when she found out she was going to prison, her response was, hmm, God may be has somebody in prison that needs to hear about Jesus. Paul, do your assignment. Where you are right now, it may be difficult. Do your assignment. Love others. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 7.24, Paul ends this section with brothers and sisters. Each person, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, it doesn't mean we don't, if, if it's a bad situation, we don't get out. If it's a situation where we're going to potentially be harmed, get out. Yes, but if it's a situation, whatever your situation, your first thing is, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to proclaim your love and your goodness in this situation? As we wrap up this morning, our mission is impacting people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. You heard it a couple times already today. One of our roles as a church is to help you carry out the mission of God that he has for this church and for you as an individual. We need to equip you. We need to come alongside you. We need to encourage you. We need to challenge you. Paul says even in Ephesians 4 that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. That's what we need to do.
Our equip ministry team is putting together a class on outreach that is coming in March, and more information will be coming as that comes out. Our family ministry team, our, our children and youth are working together with our SEND ministry team to put together an outreach that's coming in April, and our family ministry team, or our, our SEND ministry team, as you heard from Corey earlier, has got other things that they have been doing and are doing, and we want to provide this stuff as tools and as training to equip you to do the mission that God has called you to do. We want to impact people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. That's the main thing. It doesn't matter what we are facing. It doesn't matter our situation. God sees you. God hears you. God desires you to love others and make disciples. We're going to start a new initiative to help us make disciples to make disciples. Because doing this begins with prayer. And so this initiative is impact neighbors, impact city. This is to help us fulfill our mission. And I know that the text is a little small up there, but uh, I'm going to walk through this real quickly. Anybody and everybody can do this. The first is impact neighbors. It begins with prayer. Start praying for your neighbors. I want to encourage you to make a map of your neighborhood. You can go onto Google and print off your neighborhood. Or you can get your kids involved and have them draw the neighborhood with the houses. Write down the names of the people in each of the houses in your neighborhood. Write them down. If you don't know them, draw a question mark or something and begin to pray and ask God to help you find out the names of those people there. Then as you get to know names and as you start praying for your neighbors, ask God for opportunities to impact them with His love. We all can do this. We're beginning with prayer. This is the first step. The other piece of this is impact city and again that begins with prayer and asking God where are the needs in your city where are the people who are in need we found out about the people at the hotel in Forest Lake but what about in your city Wyoming or Columbus or Ham Lake or whatever how can you support and encourage the city officials in your city do you know who the mayor is in the city council what if you called the mayor up and just say, hey, I'm praying for you? Is there anything specific I can pray for? Anything that we can do. And then find out. Partner with others from your city. Find out who are the other Christians in your city that you can pray together for your city. Today, this first step of impacting people with the love of Jesus is a simple step. Pray. And the reason why this is important, that we pray every day, is because it gets it in your mind. If we aren't intentional about it, nothing's going to happen. Trust me. Terry and I moved into our town home in September. And we began right away praying for 
the people in the townhomes around us. And because we were praying every day, we would, back when you could walk outside and not freeze, we would go outside and we would see somebody. We would intentionally go and introduce ourselves and get to know them because we were intentionally praying. If, if we weren't being intentional about the prayer, we wouldn't have made that effort. Thanksgiving morning, we're finishing up, getting ready to go to my mom's house, and a neighbor's out in the back with their dog. Normally, I was busy, too busy to go say hi, but because we were praying and I hadn't met that neighbor, went out on the deck, and in three minutes, got his name, found out it was his first Thanksgiving alone because he was divorced. Three minutes. Now I had something to pray about. That's the way this works. So my challenge for you today is impact your neighbors. Start intentionally praying as a household for the people on your street. Impact your city. Start praying for the officials in your city. This is where it begins. The next steps we'll talk about as we move forward. But begin here. We all can pray. My goal, my desire, is that the people of Crossroads and Crossroads Church is known as a church that impacts people with the love of Jesus. Amen?